You're listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. During Planet Pod's recent summer break, we took a trip to Aviemore in Scotland to visit the Cairngorm reindeer herd. And in this short podcast, we talked to Emily and Alex Smith, whose family run the Cairngorm reindeer, Britain's only free-ranging herd of these magnificent creatures. The podcast was recorded entirely on location and in some pretty windy conditions, as you'll hear. So we've been followed by uh, Origami, who's walking along the boardwalk as we trek through and we're up in the Cairngorms up in fantastic scenery the weather has lifted and clouds are kind of disappearing we've got a bit of sunshine so origami is following Emily who's got some food and we're at the moment we're in the enclosure of the uh, Cairngorm reindeer herd and uh, Origami has stopped. He's uh, decided he's going to give us a little present. <laughs> he's left. He's left me a nice little present here. So as we walk along, I'm going to try and if we can hear, there's some click the clicking sound that the reindeers make as they as they walk. They've got incredibly wide hooves, I guess. We'll try and get a, just get a sound of what they're like. So, and the clicking that they're making, what's it, what is what's that caused by? So it's a tendon in the in sort of the back of the heel, I suppose, which flips over a bone, and so it's an involuntary sound. And they just they make it ever since they're born. Um, does it, I mean, is there any way in which they follow each other as a result? Yeah. Of them? So they have. Um, they also have scent glands in the in the feet as well. So they've got a cute sense of smell um, and hearing. So if it, the idea is, I suppose, in, the, in a blizzard where you couldn't see a thing, and you and I we rope together just to try and stay together. So in reindeer, it's obviously very important to stay together. They're very gregarious. Um, herd animals so yeah they'll they'll follow the sound of the click and they'll follow that scent through the snow and that just keeps them moving it keeps them all together the amazing thing is that, I mean they are we're surrounded by them we've got well, how many would you say 30 we have 40 yeah, right, at the moment we're looking 40 in this group yeah, yeah and they are just looking at us they're not agitated they've no. got two really up up close and personal yeah. right up with us yeah. And they're incredibly gentle, aren't and they? And they all have their very own individual characteristics. I mean, you met Origami on the way down, um, who's now just there. Um, but they'll always be the same animals, same same ones that will always hang around at the back. Um, so there's some that will be shy and probably won't come in to hand feed, and others that maybe do. But um, in a herd, they all stick together ultimately. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's why it becomes useful for us having these tame reindeer that come to the front, because if you take one reindeer ahead, in the lead, then generally the others will follow. Yeah, so they are. I mean, they are they are herd animals. Very much but, so. Yeah. 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 If, 
beautiful and they're in great condition. Yeah, they, they, they are. This is a great time to see them actually because they're in full velvet. So the antlers have um, fully hardened underneath now, but the velvet is still still there. So there's still some blood supply happening at the moment. And then once that bone hardens and completes the growth of the antler, then you'll see that the velvet will just come away quite cleanly. Yeah. Um, it just takes a process of one or two days to lose it all. They look like they've sort of got these dreadlocks coming down <laughs> for a while and then they'll have their bone antler which will be then used for fighting for the rut for the males. Um, the females will keep their bone antlers right through the winter so they can keep sort of hierarchy through the winter when the males lose theirs. Um, and then we have also our what we call Christmas reindeer or the gelded males. So because there are so many males in the herd and for the size of land that they're grazing on it's important that we monitor the breeding so a large number of the males will be castrated at beyond the age of three so once they're fully grown yeah. um, so that we don't have any confusions during the mating season so they yeah. obviously keep the herd and the breeding lines quite yeah. clean and, um, we got, and uh, this one has just come up here. to us has got a so tag on she does, she's got a collar um, so this is Lulu, um, Hi, Lulu and Lulu is one of our oldest females so you can see she's not in the best of condition but partly because she's also just reared twins this year so that's the second twin coming oh, down right, yeah. and this is probably one of the rarest things you'll ever see with reindeer because they do just have the one calf um, so this is the first for certainly for our, the history of our herd so for the last sort of 60 plus years and if you look to any records um, amongst any herd in the world I think there's only been one other recorded case which has been in Finland partly because a lot of reindeer herds aren't as closely monitored so you might not notice if they've had twins but it's very rare they're not really designed for it so Lulu's having a bit of an easy time so she's staying in the enclosure at the moment so that she can get plenty of extra nutrient from us but and keep monitoring the calves the tag. Cars yeah so it's right Starsky and Hutch yeah. they've been named um, <laughs> so hopefully they keep going because we don't yeah. want to have a, a lone Starsky or a lone Hutch <laughs> but um, yeah and this is the herd itself am I right in saying that this is an internationally recognised and registered yeah. official yeah, so herd, one of the sort of few reindeer herd? Well, in they're certainly the only free-ranging herd of reindeer in Britain. Yeah. Um, so the Cairngorms is this very special area where it's kind of... The vegetation here is quite similar to what you'd find in the tundra um, elsewhere in the Arctic. So reindeer range all over the sort of Eurasian continent up in the north, but um, we're the only place in Britain that you could have them find them naturally in yeah. their own environment um, which you know certainly in Britain yeah. so but they are managed and monitored um, just purely because of the sort of size of land that they're restricted to they're not restricted by fences outside of this enclosure certainly um, but restricted more on a vegetation level you know they yeah. wouldn't want yeah. to come yeah. off the cane yeah um, so yeah so we monitor the herd to around 150 in total right so of that number depending on the time of year some of the females will stay out onto the free range which yeah which you know obviously is unfenced areas um, which is leased by the reindeer company um so they get the best of the grazing through the summer um, and winter um but then the the hill enclosure here is is used as a, a large corral system really so it means we can get them ready for the rutting season which is obviously coming up now right um and we can prepare them into groups which will be breeding females and young breeding males so very shortly those will be coming into the enclosure getting ready for a blind date essentially <laughs> <laughs> 
So you have then a sort of we tend to keep about three bull, three main bulls typically to to sort of serve the herd. Yeah. And um, and then those bulls will be rotated probably for one year, possibly two, um, and then be switched out with with other males. Fantastic. Yeah. So you talk about the antlers. Um. Yeah. So what's what's interesting and what a lot of people wouldn't know um, with deer generally and particularly I think you see it in reindeer is that every individual animal will have um, a unique kind of fingerprint if you like of or antler print of antlers so every year despite the fact that they have to you know, grow them and shed them every year the regrowth the next year along will look almost identical to the one that they grew the year before so um, and you can see that sort of the the appearance of the antler looks can be sort of a family trait you can see little angles of shoots which come off which um which could be similar to a mother or a father, but yeah, it's the same same antler pr- in principle. Yeah. So they'll grow, you know, what what should be the same kind of copy, if you like, genetic the genetic copy of of their last year's antlers. But there's also environmental sort of influences. So if they were to have a bad year, just in their health, they would compromise the size of the antler. If they were to be knocked um, whilst they were sort of soft and growing, then you might get sort of a, a sudden angle. Um, or it stops growing perhaps yeah. on one side so there are differences from year on to year but in principle they look more or less the same and then I've just noticed here you've got the main breeding bull at the back there so you can just see at the top of his antler he's got the dreadlocks starting to form where the where the velvet's just coming away and you can see the blood just on the antler there yeah so a lot of people ask at this point, oh my goodness, how terrifying, because yeah. it looks like he's just gorged something. But yeah. actually that's, that's just the, the residual blood trapped underneath, the between the skin and the bone. Yeah. Um, and that's just going to come away in the next yeah. few days. Yeah. So I'm now walking across a stretch of moorland, and we're just heading down into the valley. And uh, what is really remarkable is that it's so dry. And I think Ali, uh, Emily was telling me a minute ago that normally if you walk across here you have to wear, well certainly have to wear stout boots, but uh, probably you're got to keep to the track and maybe wear Wellingtons as well. It's just uh, it's sort of boots, but it's just uh, almost impossible at times. But it's, it's as dry as a bone. And I guess that's just a feature of how the summer has been. And indeed the summer has affected... The, uh, the grouse shooting and grouse shooting isn't isn't happening this season because uh, so few chicks have been born uh, so just another example I guess of what the climate is doing uh, the unusual situation we've had this this this, uh, this summer I think the other thing that uh, both Alex and Emily are saying is that none of the areas that we think of as as completely wild particularly up in Scotland are really uh, wild at all I mean they are essentially managed um, and a lot of these these tracts of moorland uh, have been managed for, for years and years and years for things like grouse shooting and perhaps deer stalking and so on uh, so what we think of as the, the true wilderness in many cases has been very carefully managed and it's been managed for a particular reason but uh, it'd be interesting just to see what would happen if these sort of huge areas were genuinely rewilded and uh, allowed to just to, uh, to allow nature just to take its course. So a little bit out of breath, I'm going uphill at the moment, but uh, we'll talk again when we get back into the shelter of uh, of the forest. Now in essentially, uh, I suppose, a glade, walking down the, to, into the valley uh, in what Alex has described as one of one of the best examples of Caledonian forest. Um, and I'm just keeping my eyes open because I want 
to see whether I can spot the crested tit, which I've only really ever seen once up in Scotland. Yep, yep, that's what I've just seen, a crested tit. That's fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. That was made my day along with seeing the reindeer. That's really exciting. So I'm now going to keep going because otherwise I shall be left behind and they'll wonder where I am thinking I've broken my leg or something. But um, that's really exciting to see a crested tit in what is essentially a uh, uh, already rewilded piece of uh, piece of the landscape, I guess, or certainly it's, it's as it would have been for, for many, many, many years. So, but a fantastic example of Caledonian pine forests. Um, and uh, we'll pick up again shortly. So just walking down the track, just descending down into the valley floor, um, passing some amazing trees, huge trees. I don't know how old they are, but I mean, they must be close to 100 years, if not more. Uh, pine trees, fantastic bark. The bark is absolutely riven with sort of almost like, uh, almost like fissures. It's almost like the, the bark is, uh, is too small for the, for the bowl of the tree. Um, almost like looking out on a prehistoric landscape, to be honest. There's a fallen pine tree, uh, which I can see, uh, which does look like just the skeleton of a dinosaur. And I'm just passing a fly agaric uh, mushroom. Um, and just uh, absolutely amazing. It's just, uh, it is really like stepping back in time. Underneath me, the path is soft. Um, it's just pine needles upon pine needles upon pine needles and gradually decomposing into uh, what, what must be such a rich... Uh, ecosystem, a rich uh, sort of soil for the for what's growing. We've got cowberries. Well, I tried a cowberry earlier on, which is pretty bitter, but uh, um, just fantastic, and it's just a, a glorious experience. So I'm sitting in Utzi's hut with Emily. Um, Emily, just tell us about Utzi because he's a very important part of the, uh, the, the heritage and the history of the herd, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I mean, he's the he's the founder of the herd, um, along with Dr. Ethel Lindgren, who was his wife. Um, and so they um, established the herd in 1952 with the first uh, consignment of reindeer. So they came across from um, from his home in Sweden. So he was a Sami reindeer herder living in the north of Sweden. Um, but he had said, I think he'd visited Scotland on his honeymoon with Dr Lindgren and had walked the Cairngorms extensively searching for reindeer, assured that they would be here because the habitat was exactly as he was as he had at home, um, where reindeer were obviously in abundance. And so he was eventually told at the end of the holiday that reindeer didn't exist in Scotland any longer. Um, there's some debate as to when they died out, and there was definitely been a, a lot of hunting involved with that, a bit of climate change um, in one way or another. They, they they left Scotland. So he brought, he, he sort of sought to bring them back. Um, it was a bit of a sort of hobby, I suppose. You know, he wanted to bring them across. Um, so they lived here, but with the help of Dr Lindgren, who was um, highly educated, Cambridge scholar, anthropologist, um, she was able to kind of, you know, help to do all the admin sides of things and, yeah. and managed to get Britain on board with with bringing reindeer back. I think initially the herd was brought across, it was post-war, um, and there was a sort of a desire to get meat back, you know, into Britain, so mm. the, the idea of reindeer meat was, was the sort of idea of, of the reintroduction. So it was a commercial... It was, yeah. For, for meat rather than... Um, for, yeah, so nice to certainly. Have. Um, so with the sort of... With the reindeer no... Not, you know, knowledge from, from Mikkel Utzi, along with the... I don't 
know what you'd call it, but yeah, with with Dr. Lindgren's influence, um, they managed to bring it across, bring them across. But it was very slow to establish. Yeah. You know, they were sort of able to bring over maybe twelve at a time on ships, right, which okay. would have cr- crossed over the the North Sea yeah. into the Clydesdale and Glasgow, right. and then travelling by crate. And then, you know, taking yeah. from crate into a truck and then travelling up the old A9, which would have been a very, very different different road yeah, system to, yeah, to how it yeah. is today. So it would have taken a long time to get them across. Um, and and once here, you know, establishing a herd from, from those numbers is pretty slow, slow yeah. game. So in terms of using them as a meat herd mm. from the early days, it would have been extremely slow process yeah. to first establish and then, and then to kind of get... Um, enough meat produced from them to to form a, a, a kind of trade there. So yeah. it naturally lent itself within that time while he was establishing the herd as just a curiosity to so many people. You know, people wanted to see reindeer. They were up in the Cairngorms. It was a bit of a sort of tourist boom as well in the 60s, 70s. And he found that more and more people wanted just to come and take photos of him yeah. and his reindeer. And he would take them trekking and use his sort of indigenous skills. And, and it was just a fascination piece, really. Yeah, yeah. And I think beyond that, people just didn't, in Britain, weren't so keen on the idea to eat the meat. I mean, there was a meat trade for a, for a while, but it yeah. wasn't half as much as the interest from the public generally. So that's how it has developed today. Yeah. Um, so that sort of has continued. So now there's about 150 in the herd altogether. It's maintained around that number purely for conservation reasons. Um, and and yeah, the herd are not used for meat. They all have names, um, and there is now an adoption scheme so that people can adopt individual reindeer. Yeah. Um, so just going back, and yeah. just turning back a bit. So Utsi, what's the connection between Utsi um, and what is now your family? Because you're married to Alex, Alex Smith, and Alan Tilly Smith, uh, uh, Alex's mum and dad, and they effectively run the or have, uh, they have the Cairngorm reindeer herd. So what's yeah. the connection? So the connection there, um, it's funny, it's a sort of history repeating itself thing. So um, Tilly, who is Alex's mum, she was a zoology student, um, came up, um, it would have been, I guess, in the 70s. Um, Alan, Alex's dad, um, he was Utsi's last keeper, reindeer okay. keeper. So while he yeah. was here, he he was sort of getting a bit older, he was able to do a bit less on the hill himself, um, so between him and Dr. Lindgren, in terms of the practical management of the herd, he, he did have to seek help from local workers. Many, many people have worked for Mikhail Utsi, and they, they were kind of notoriously quite a difficult couple to work for. Um, but Alan was probably fortunate to be one of the last people right, to work yeah, for him. So yeah. he ended up sort of as being one of the last connections in that sense. So when Mikhail Utsi died, um, he left behind Dr. Lindgren, who continued managing the herd. Yeah. But she needed practical help from um, the herders here, and Alan was was one of the last keepers. So yeah. he was originally from D side, right, um, in Scotland. So he came over, um, and yeah, and so he managed the herd really. And Doctor Lindgren was much of the time down. They they had a home in Cambridge. Um, so while Utsi was, you know, health was waning a little, so he actually spent most of his last days down down yeah. in Cambridge. Yeah. And she was often with him. Yeah. So um, Alan stayed here with the herd. Eventually, when he did die, he um, it kind of was offered to his family, but I think they weren't involved really with any of it. So they just had decided to just 
to sell sell the herd. So Alan and Tilly were in a position where they'd kind of met each other up here, yeah. fallen in love, and then they thought, let's just go for it and try yeah, and you know, try and buy the herd. So they did. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I've come up in much the same way as Tilly did, <laughs> met Alex and similar yeah. story. Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic. And it, the fact that it continues and there's obviously family, the family yeah. continues to be involved in the, the maintenance and the running of the herd. And the, yeah, very and we much talk, so. We talked a little bit whilst we were up uh, with the reindeer about the, the breeding process. Just uh, a couple of things, you know, I wanted to talk, talk about... Um, this whole area, this whole issue of rewilding, because we had a we had a podcast recently about looking at rewilding, but in a much different situation down in Surrey at Ebono Common, which I know you know, and you know the Petworth area as well. Um, what about one of the things we talked about there was apex, these so-called apex predators, so introduction of things like wolves. What do you? What's your view, and what is the general view? You know, is it viable to introduce wolves here in the Cairngorms, for example? Um, would it work? It's a massive question, yeah. which is definitely, um, a, you know, a, a hot topic at the moment, certainly in this area. But I think certainly the, introdu- the reintroduction of apex predators, I absolutely am personally in support of. I think it's, I think there's certainly a lot of opposition to the idea of wolves being returned here. I think the thought is that not only would it reduce the numbers of deer, but that also it would... Know, inevitably lead to losses amongst other livestock yeah. such as sheep and and lowland livestock but i'm not sure it would affect the reindeer also um that's part it's of to what issue. extent you know and yeah i think that's an impossible one to answer really yeah. i suppose part of the issue i think alex was saying going on about the grouse particularly mm. the importance of grouse shooting yeah here, yeah that a lot of the, a lot of the gamekeepers and a lot of the well gamekeepers particularly but obviously farmers as well perhaps would have a real challenge, you know, challenge on their hands if, if, if something like yeah. a wolf was introduced. But I guess it's a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I know they've done it in Yellowstone, but it's a very different situation. I mean, and, and a much larger, I mean, <laughs> massively, um, much larger area than than here. And it's, it's just such a pocket habitat, I think, here. And I think that's what's tricky, is that, you know, how restricted would, would the wolves be within this habitat and how much would they infringe into the more lowland areas I mean I think the biggest I personally don't think it will happen um, I think would I like to see it happen I don't know it's a really hard question yeah, I think because yeah. I don't think it would happen because I think there's just too much sway yeah, from the big yeah. landowners from the estates from the you know grouse um, yeah, the estate owners. I don't. I don't know. No, but I suppose it's just one of those it's things. A challenge. That I mean, could, obviously, beavers. could explore what what might be the implications. Yeah, 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 it would. But um, you mentioned also in the introduction of, of reindeer, and obviously, originally, you know, there was a sort of degree of opposition or a degree of cynicism or scepticism about whether or not you know a reindeer herd was sustainable. And yet, you know, we, however many years on, it's quite clear that the, the reindeer herd is sustainable, and in fact, is a positive contribution to local economy yeah. local ecology uh, definitely i mean i think what's what's interesting with the reindeer is you know they are one of the largest mammals to you know they eat mainly lichen through the mm-hmm. winter um um on on foods and vegetations which actually are is relatively little mm. competition with other animals up here um they're in a different band of habitat i suppose to the red deer there's some crossover perhaps um, into the forest but very little you know reindeer will typically stay above the tree line 
um, coming into the Caledonian forest, perhaps you know for mushrooms and other berries, but generally they'll stay higher than the red deer. They yeah. browse very differently. Yeah, they have yeah. a much um, softer mouth in that you know they'll they'll sort of take the take fresh leaves, but they actually don't they won't touch the bark that mm-hmm. that kills yeah. the trees from the obviously the red deer's big problem with that. Um, so yeah, I think they are very much should be treated as a different animal, but I think in Britain typically we view deer as deer. You know, mm-hmm. there is no separation between red deer or roe deer. You know, they're all pests in the view of wanting to encourage regeneration of, of trees, which is obviously very important, especially for some keystone species. Um, and especially in the national park, you know, there's a big drive to increase the amount of natural um, Caledonian forest um, and encourage natural regeneration of the trees which is obviously a very slow process and halted dramatically by massive deer populations Mm. so while that's a big focus to try and encourage more forest for species such as capricaylee um then and you know black grouse um a, a lot of the sort of big bird species it's yeah it's um the reindeer aren't really halting that in the in the way that red deer or other yeah. lower lower lying deer would, um, their feet are really large. You know, in terms of their sort of footprint on the on the ground, they're far less intrusive than than other deer. Mm. So, yeah, I think they can fit here. Certainly, well, they do fit here. You know, they're um, they're perfect for this environment. But I guess the question. I mean, there haven't been many studies done on on the actual impact. You know, yeah. of of what that means to the vegetation but certainly when you look at the the land that the reindeer are on um, where it's unfenced and you know there's no where they're not penned in then it's certainly the regeneration is there yeah um, yeah so, it's, so it's obviously they, they, don't, they, they can. don't do harm yeah can i just yeah change the subject slightly go mm. back to the the sami people um, um let's see was was a sami is that right yeah he, sami reindeer herder yeah so so how important is that sort of uh, under getting an understanding of of how to manage and how to herd reindeer and how to look after reindeer from from the sami i think it's it's critical and i think it was critical to the success of the herd certainly i mean that understanding is sort of innate and i think you're to be born with an understanding of the reindeer. I mean, they're a particularly special species. They're the only domesticated deer, so, but their domestication is special in that. <laughs> God, Hamish is, is having a bit of a whinge outside, but. Um, but their domestication is special in that they are the only domesticated species, certainly that I can think of at this point. I could be wrong, but um, that haven't been fenced and enclosed to you know to where we would farm them like we do with cows and sheep and other animals and domesticated species so they're domesticated but we as people would have moved with them so we would have moved with them to the habitats that they needed to be in in order to thrive and i think that's a significant difference with reindeer to other animals is that at no point in their history have reindeer been taken out of their natural environment because they soon learned that by doing that you actually hurt the herd to the point where they just won't have a yeah, great mortality yeah, yeah. and you know, there's no interest therefore in doing that um so having that knowledge living with the reindeer you, you know year in year out seasons winter summer spring you know everything has a different action to it every season and just just having that lifestyle is critical yeah. to understanding the herd understanding the health of the animals understanding what they need knowing 
natural medicines to rectify yeah, yeah. illnesses and, and knowing what to look for. And I think yeah. that that um, knowledge that he had, he managed to obviously teach his the people who came to help with the herd. Um, and hopefully, you know, I think almost actually, in, yeah, in some ways the herd here are almost tamer now than a lot of the Sami herds, which... Yeah. They've modernised, you know, more is done with helicopters and um, mass movements and um, mass corral. Um, but with the Cairngorm reindeer, because the herd has had to maintain its small size and because we've had to maintain uh, very close management of them, the the tameness within the reindeer here is probably more than you'd find elsewhere. Yeah. So yeah. they're one of the tamest herds that we've certainly come yeah. across. Um, which is which is great that you get to work so closely with them yeah. on an individual level. And if anybody's interested, it's the Cairngorm reindeer, um, and we'll put the details on the uh, Planet Pod website. Uh, how we, anybody wants to get in touch or wants to come and go and visit the reindeer, like we've done today, which is fantastic. Um, I think Alex, who's been looking after Hamish whilst we've been chatting, you probably hear Hamish in the background. He's uh, quite excited. <laughs> He's currently think, um, look, jumping look, around in a. In some kind of in a blaberry bush. Okay, excellent. Um, <laughs> so he's part of the part of part of nature. Part of the landscape. <laughs> we probably ought to go and rejoin them. But uh, Emily, thanks ever so much. It's been fantastic, and it's great to have had a chance to chat to you, and also have a chance to see the reindeer up close and personal. So oh, thank you very good. much indeed. Lovely having you up here. It's yeah. always a pleasure to yeah. show people the reindeer. Yeah, thanks as so much. Yeah. yeah.